Welcome to Real Life Church. For more information about our ministry and available resources, visit us online at reallifeankeny.org. Now let's join this week's service already in progress. Good morning. Can I have you make your way back to your seats, please? Okay, can you give that last hug real quick and make your way back to your seats if you would. Wonderful to be with you here this morning. I love the wonderful fellowship. But if we don't get started soon, we might be here till noon, because I have about 36 points to get through. I'm just joking. Okay, glad to be here with you this morning. We're going to start our time off, um, our teaching time off this morning. I really am excited to have um, Andy and Amanda Rye come and share with us. Um, Something really neat is happening in our church. If you've been coming here for any length of time, you've probably noticed, but we have a lot of families, at least five, I think, maybe more. Um, that have uh, foster parented and then either have or are in the process of adopting, which I, I just think is an amazing thing. It's, it's such the heart of God uh, to think about uh, the fact that we, when we were lost in our sin, Christ came and saved us, and the Father adopted us into his family. And, he, and he gave, he's given, I mean, I mean, all of us as believers probably have that heart, that sense of we want to help those in need. But there are some who just have opened up their homes and their lives and their very hearts uh, to take in kids and, um, and foster parent them and adopt them. And the first ones, at least in this church, that did that were the Rise. And I remember uh, five years ago, six years ago, something like that, when we were doing VBS out in the parking lot and they brought three kids that I'd never seen before. And they'd gotten them, I think, that day and brought them to VBS and and, uh, of course, that's Kim, Kaylin, and Dylan, and um, they're part of their family now. They've been adopted. They're in the process of adopting two more. And so um, I don't want to steal your thunder, Andy and Amanda. So if you would come up and share with us for a few minutes uh, just what God has given you to say, if you would. Most of you know us, um, but for those who don't, I'm Andy, and this is my wife, Amanda, and we've adopted three kids from foster care, uh, like Josh said, and we'll officially be adopting two more on Friday. Um, And Josh asked us if we would share our testimony about foster care, adoption, and love. Um, I'll just start at the beginning of Andy and I's marriage. Andy and I were married six years ago and went through a time of infertility. In the grand scheme of things, it wasn't that long, but for me, it felt like an eternity. I longed to be a mother. I chose to have an in-home daycare to somehow fill the void in my heart. It didn't do the trick. I watched as my friends got pregnant and were both happy and sad. I watched as they had baby showers 
and decided if they were going to nurse or use formula, cloth diaper, or disposable. They bought nursery furniture and decorated. I watched as their children were born and listened as they talked about sleepless nights and recovering from childbirth and the struggles with nursing. But I also listened as they talked about the deep love they instantly felt as they held their newborn. How I longed for that pain, the joy, the sleeplessness, all of it. I wanted to experience every part of motherhood. God would eventually let me experience these things, but in his way. Andy and I prayed and prayed, and our friends prayed for us. Yet nothing happened. One day, I saw a commercial for foster care. I talked with Andy, and we prayed about it and decided to do it. Our intentions were not to adopt, but just do foster care while we were trying to conceive. Boy, did God have a different plan for us. (laughs) We went through it all, the fingerprinting, the 30 hours of classes, and the home study that seemed to dig into every corner of our lives. We felt ready. We could do it. We wanted to help these kids, help their parents, and have fairy tale endings. We had it all planned out. We finished everything up and got our license in the mail. We were ready. Nothing could stand in our way. Now just to wait for that phone to ring. We got our first call, and I was more nervous than I thought I would be. The lady on the other end of the call said something like the following This is Sally from Iowa Kids Net. We have two boys, ages two and five, that we need placed. Is this something you'd be interested in? I sat in silence but was thinking, two boys at once? No way. (laughs) Um, So I finally answered, um, no. (laughs) She said, okay, thanks, and hung up. I'm not sure what I was expecting, but that wasn't it. (laughs) About a week later, the same lady called and said she had three kids, ages one, two, and four. This time I asked questions, and I was ready for the phone call. I instantly knew these were the kids we were supposed to take in. That day was probably one of the craziest days of my life. I got off the phone with her and had an hour and a half to go get them. Can you imagine 90 minutes that would change your life? (laughs) I called a friend to come and watch my daycare kids and ran to Target to get some car seats, and then I was on my way. (laughs) So many thoughts ran through my head. What would they look like? What should I say? Would their mother be there? Would they cry? I arrived at the DHS office and my heart broke. Here were three kids that clearly had been through a lot and needed love. They were dirty, bruised, stunk, and just plain a mess. The DHS worker and I loaded them up in my tiny car as their mother stood by and watched all this take place. She was sobbing, but the kids seemed unaffected. To this day, I can't understand what was going through their minds. I took them home and the fun began. What were we expecting? I have no idea. I can't recall what all went on in the weeks after, but I do know it was hard. I cried. They cried. We cried together. Here were three kids that had just had their lives turned upside down, and Andy and I felt so incapable of helping. We felt like kids ourselves. The only thing we could do was love them. We went through months of learning to become a family and not knowing how long it was going to last. We loved them, but didn't know if we were enough. Slowly we saw change, and slowly we became a family. We knew we wanted to adopt them, but didn't know if it would happen. Would their mother do what she needed to do? Would the judge see past her flaws and allow her to parent them again? Would our hearts be broken? I remember at some point telling my friend how hard it was, but God had shown me that these kids were worth it. 
They were worth our tears and our heartbreak. They deserve someone to love them so deeply that it would feel like a piece of you dying if they were to leave. They deserved love. They were worth the fight. Andy and I spent the next year and a half loving them, never knowing how long it would be. We fought for them. We treated them like they would be with us forever. At one point, we had a DHS worker ask us why we were doing some of the things we were doing, like sending them to ACA and things like that. And we told them that if they were our biological children, that's what we would do. Um, the bond that we had with, that, with them grew into such a deep love. I, to this day, don't know how it feels to have a biological child or how that love would feel, but I can't imagine loving someone more than I love each of my children. They mean the world to me. The love I have for them is so deep. I'm constantly reminded about the love Christ must feel for us. If I love these kids this much, how much more does Christ love me? Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoptions as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him that we may also be glorified with him. When God adopted us into his family, it was as if we were always part of it. We became heirs with Christ. Our children are part of our family, just as if they always were. They may not have my eyes or Andy's smile, but that's okay. They have our hearts, and that's all that matters. 1 Corinthians thirteen seven, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is such an accurate description of love. Throughout our marriage and all of the children that have come to live with us, God is constantly teaching us what love means and how to truly love. We've had different types of children. Children that were easy, children that were hard, children that were affectionate, and children that were distant. But through each child that has come into our house, we have had to learn how to love them. Being a foster parent is definitely not the easiest thing in the world to do. And one of the hardest parts is opening up your heart and loving each child that comes into your home. One of the hardest things for me was just the fact that these were not biologically my children. Love is not the easiest thing to do when you feel like they are someone else's children and you are just watching them for a while. When we first got children, I had a very hard time with this because of the, for the longest time, I felt that they were going to leave and it was hard for me to open up because of this. But as time went on, they became part of our family and part of me. Then my thoughts of them leaving had a different effect on me. They made me worry about what would happen to them in the future. But by God opening up my heart to these children, I was able to show his love to them. I was able to not just give them a safe place to live, but I was able to give them a home and eventually a permanent family. Even when some of them did leave, I was able to say that yes, I did love them and give them all that I could while they were with me. Philippians 4, 6-7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is a very hard verse to live out. 
the vagueness of DHS workers and the inability to really know what will happen in these kids' lives makes it hard. But the only way to not be anxious is by trusting in God that he knows what is best for everyone. Being a parent has taught me to truly love another. It has taught me that love is not just a feeling, but it is everyday actions. One of the greatest examples of love and action that I have seen is from how the church has responded to our children. From the day that they came to live with us, they were instantly accepted by everyone at the church. With our first placement, the church organized meals for us, and I think that we received meals for about a month. <laughs> Which, you know, for a small church, that's a lot of people. <laughs> what a blessing for us to be shown this kind of love. Showing love to my children is not just a warm, fuzzy feeling that we get when we are in love. It is how I talk to my children. It is how I care for them. It is how I spend time with them. Parenting has also taught me that love is not always easy and that love is not always returned. But love is always needed, and our children have always thrived when they are shown love. Isaiah 61.3 To those who mourn in Zion, he gave a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. God truly turned these ashes into beauty. He turned mourning into joy. He gave a garment of praise where there was a spirit of despair. He taught each of us what it truly meant to love. He healed all seven of us. Fantastic. Um, it's amazing. You might wonder why, why are we sharing that this morning? Um, what's that have to, to do with baby dedication? Um, has a lot to do with it. Um, because if you are adoptive parents, what we just heard, and by your own experience, they become part of you, and they're your kids. They're not someone else's kids anymore. And so this morning I'm talking, when we talk about parenting, which we'll get to here in just a moment, I'm talking to kid, parents with biological kids, uh, parents with adoptive kids, um, talking to grandparents, talking to parents with old kids, kids that are grown up and out of the house, you still have influence on them. And so this morning we're going to talk about God's plan to bless generations of families um, I think it was maybe in January, our memory text was Psalm 127. You guys remember that psalm? I'm going to read it real quick and pray, and then I'm going to share some thoughts for a bit before we uh, have some families come up here and do a baby dedica- or child dedication. Psalm 127. This is a song of ascents by King Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. 
He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Let's pray. Father, you are gracious. You are good. God, the central verse of this psalm, I think, is behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. They are a reward. They are a gift from you, God. Lord, I pray that you would speak this morning through your word. God, give me the words to say. God, allow me to communicate your heart and your words this morning in spirit and in truth. God, as we open up this scripture and God, see the bounty of your heart, God, toward us and giving us children in Jesus name. Amen. So God loves blessing generations and families. Generational blessing is a big deal to God. So what are we doing this morning? When we do a child dedication, which we're going to commence our service with this morning, what are we doing? Well, first I want to say what a child dedication is not. And then I want to explain at least what I think it is or what I'm going to be doing this morning and hopefully you'll be joining with me. First of all, child dedication is not something that's commanded in the Bible. Okay? I think it's something that's good, but it's not something that's commanded. Okay? And also, it's not another ordinance that I'm adding to the two that Jesus gave to the church. It's not like you know, Jesus gave us baptism and Lord's Supper or communion, and Josh is adding a third one this morning called child, or excuse me, child uh, dedication. That's not what it is. Okay? So what are we doing when we are dedicating our children or committing our children to God? Well, I think the biblical root for this comes from 1 Samuel chapter 1. And it's where Hannah receives a child from the Lord. She wanted a son or a child, and she received a son. His name was Samuel. And she says in verses 27 and 28, For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore I have lent or dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord or dedicated to the Lord. So when we do a child dedication, I think of it somewhat like a wedding ceremony where two people make public commitments to each other. Okay? The commitments mean nothing if there's nothing in the person's heart that's making the commitment. The rings don't necessarily mean anything. Okay? It's just an outward symbol, an outward expression of the commitment of a husband or a wife's, excuse me, of their commitment to each other. So, what about kids that haven't been dedicated? Or what about families that aren't dedicating their children today? That's okay, all right? However, I would say to you that I'm preaching this message just like I would any Sunday morning, okay? And so I'm calling every one of you, everyone here, to respond appropriately to what I have to say today, okay? This morning, I'm going to recommit myself to be a father who raises my kids in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. And I encourage fathers here to do that as well, and mothers to join alongside. So, this psalm, Psalm 127, an amazing psalm written by King Solomon, is clear that we are called to build, but if the Lord doesn't build... If the Lord's not underneath and behind and over and empowering us to build, our building is in vain. It's pointless. We are called to stand guard or to watch or to protect. But if the Lord doesn't watch the city, it's in vain. It's pointless. And I think there's a connection between verses 1 and 2 
and verses 3 and three to 5. What we labor to build and what we ultimately want God to build are our homes, right? It's our homes we want God to build. We want God actively at work as we parent our children, as we love them. We want God to be building our homes. And as, excuse me, what we are watching over and what we want God ultimately to watch over are our cities or our families, right? There's certainly a mindset that when we have this mindset, it seems to attract the Lord's activity and the Lord's protection. And it's verse 3. Verse 3, I think, is the verse that holds this psalm together. Otherwise, it seems like there's two vastly different thoughts that Solomon is going after in these short five verses. Verse 3 says this, Behold, children are a blessing from the Lord. Children are a blessing through and through from God. They are a heritage from God. Excuse me, that's what the ESV says. A heritage from the Lord. They are a blessing from God. We live in a culture right now that see, where many see children as a burden. Something to do away with. Many see them as disposable. But the Lord would have us know, the Lord would have so drilled down deep in our hearts that children are a blessing from top to bottom, inside and out, through and through. They're a blessing all the way around. So kids are a blessing, right? Well, how are kids a blessing? In many ways. One way that they're a blessing is they're God's gift of life to us. Think about what the Bible says is going on in the womb of a, per- of a woman when a child is growing in there, or this little child you're holding in your hands, or this toddler that's sitting on your lap, or this teenager sitting next to you. What is this thing next to you? This is an image bearer of God. Psalm 126, God says, the the Godhead, right, the Trinity, they're talking as they're making everything. They speak and they say, let us make man in our image. In our likeness, let us make him. So human beings, think your child, this child that grew in your, in your womb, women. This child that's sitting on your lap right now. This child that maybe is 25 and grown. What are they? They are a blessing from God. Why? Because they're life given by God. They are made in the image of God. They have the stamp of divinity. Listen to what David says in Psalm 139. Amazing. He says, For you, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your child is the handiwork of Almighty God. When he made everything, everything he made, after every day he says, It's good. It's good, it's good. After he made human beings, after he made Adam, he made Adam and Eve, he said, behold, it's very good. But I don't think this is what's primarily in view in this text. Another way kids are gifts, children are gifts, they are God's sanctifying gift in our life, aren't they? God is all about sanctifying, which, which means... He wants to change us to make us more like Christ. When we first come to Jesus, lots of things change, but not everything changes all at once. We become a new creation, and then we have this lifetime process of working out this new life, becoming more and more like Christ. Children are an amazing gift from God 
to make us more like Jesus. Martin Luther, the reformer, who was a monk for a period of time before he would say he got saved, he said, uh, he he's said, I think wisely, the monastery is no place for God to sanctify. The family is. Isn't that true? You can be by yourself in your prayer closet, day and night, night and day, right? Beating yourself, whipping yourself, trying to beat some sanctification in you, it doesn't work. Throw in with a family and things will start moving pretty quick. I, I think of it this way. I, I asked the Lord, God, grant me patience. I need patience. And God said, I have just what you need. And he gave me five kids. And I'm still learning patience. Big time. God is all about making us more like Christ. And one of the big ways he does this is through relationship and parents through our kids. So every time you have to discipline your child, or like Matt said, every time you have to discipline and then apologize for not disciplining appropriately to your children. Every time you're woken up in the middle of the night, God is at work. Every time your child sees the living room wall as their canvas for their beautiful pieces of art, which has happened in our house at least a couple times. God is at work. God is at work forming and fashioning. He's at work sanctifying. He's at work changing. He's at work making you more like Christ. Every time you have to clean up or clean a cut and bandage a wound, or every time you're up all night with children that have the flu, God is at work. There's one time recently, and I just had this epiphany. It is, it is not always like this, okay? But for whatever reason, everyone in my family got the flu this episode, and I didn't, okay? So my wife was not able to help me out as I was up with kids. But I had this epiphany that God was at work in this somehow, okay? Now, I'm not always so attuned to his spirit, but that time, for whatever reason, I was. We have a kitchen table in our home that seats eight. I think it's five by five tables, so there's two, seat, two chairs on each side. We've had that table for nine years, roughly, little, going on nine years. And that table is beat up like crazy. I mean, there's gouges taken out of it. There's permanent marks on it. There are fork marks all over the place. And this last week, as I was thinking about this message, I was just, I was struck with the reality of, listen, I would love to refinish it someday, and we probably will, but not for a while. Because I was struck with this reality that this table is a reminder of God's blessing in our home. This table is a reminder that God has been gracious to us as a family. Um, all the little, you know, my son Silas, he, every, I mean, every meal he's taking his fork and just, you know, additional marks. And we have to discipline. But it's, it's, it's a reminder of God's sanctifying work in our lives. Every time a gouge was taken out of the table, the patience God was teaching us, what he's doing in our lives. And sanctification is God's will for us. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 for this is the will of God for your life, your sanctification. But this too, I don't think, is Solomon's main aim in saying that children are a blessing from God in this text. Our children are adorable, they're amazing, they're special, they're sanctifying, they're life-giving. I say amen to all of that. But in our passage, the metaphor we get regarding the blessing of children is rather stunning and rather amazing. 
Look at what verse 4 says. Right after it says, Behold, children are blessed, excuse me, a heritage from the Lord. They are a reward from God. Verse 4 says this, Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior. Arrows? Your children are like arrows in your hands? Arrows for what? For target practice? For dress-up parties? No. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, not an archer and not an actor. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior. So we are to receive our children from God as a blessing, as a heritage. Not just that they're cute and adorable and bring them with joy into our homes and receive this joy that we have now with this extra life in our, lot, in our homes. But we're to receive them as a blessing from God, as God's inheritance given to us because they are weapons to be raised in order to be a force for God's kingdom and truth. Douglas Wilson says, don't reduce your children to being adorable and miss out on the promise of formidable children, arrows in the hand of a warrior. So we're called to raise our kids. We're called to receive them as a blessing and raise them to be a formidable force for the kingdom of God and against the kingdom of darkness. And the children of our youth are to be seen this way. In other words, it's children that we receive when we're young, and so more than likely, they are young. So this is a long-term proposition. This is not something that just comes overnight. This is when we receive a child with joy, we see them as an arrow in our hand, and we set out for the rest of our time with them as their parents to raise them to be arrow children. Arrow children. You get anything today? Big point, okay? I want my child to be an arrow child. Like an arrow in the hand of a warrior. So children are at a young age are to be seen this way. This is a long-term proposition. You've got a six-month-old in your hand. You've got a three-year-old. You've got a lot of time. Even if you've got a 14-year-old, like I've got a 14-year-old, you've got lots more time to sow into their lives this reality. And verse 5 says, Why? why we should view our kids this way, why we should see them this way and receive this promise from God to have formidable children and raise them this way very deliberately. Verse 5 says, He, excuse me, blesses a man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. The gates of a city were the place where defenders would fend off attacks from the city. But the gates were also what we might call today the public square. And that seems to be what's in view here. So Solomon's saying, Blessed is the man who has children standing with him in a crucial showdown at the city council. Blessed is the man who has children standing shoulder to shoulder with him in such a battle as that. So I want to spend the remainder of our time this morning before we get to the baby dedic- or child dedications, talking about how do we raise our kids to be arrows who stand with us when they get older in the fray or in the battle. i got six things I want you to hear today. How do we raise our kids to be arrows in the hand of a warrior who stand with us in the battle when they're older? Number one, speak and live out the gospel to your children. Speak the gospel to your children often. 
and live it out. Don't allow your life to betray what you speak, all right? Don't, don't allow your life to betray your lips, okay? Speak the gospel and live out the gospel in your home. Don't assume the gospel. Don't, I think this is such a tendency. Don't assume the gospel just because your kids go to church every week. Just because you're a Christian. How many people have I talked to when I try to dig into their lives a little bit to see where they're at with Christ? Oh, yeah, 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 I grew up in a Christian home. My uncle was a pastor, my grandpa was a minister, etc., right? And I never say this, but sometimes I feel like saying, who cares? Do you know Christ? Speak the gospel. Don't assume the gospel. A sociologist, a Christian sociologist named Christian Smith did a study probably six or seven years ago where he interviewed and followed teenagers who grew up in Christian homes for a period of time, asking them questions, studying, to try to get a sense. These were church-going teenagers. These were teenagers who grew up in church. And the stunning findings he had are breathtaking. He described their view of their faith as moralistic, therapeutic deism, which means this. Moralistic means that they believe something like God helps those who help themselves. Okay, I throw in a little bit, God throws in a little bit, he kind of fills in the gaps. Therapeutic, God basically exists for me. And deism, that God created everything, but he's not really that involved governing his creation. I don't know exactly what happened to these families, but I'm thinking that at least somewhat the gospel was assumed because a large percentage of these teenagers didn't seem to know the gospel. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses speaking to the people of Israel says this. Listen to what he says. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall walk, talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk on the way. And when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, don't assume. Instill these things in your children and your children's children. Speak of these things often. And what's our message? Well, our message is the gospel, right? By which we've been saved, by which we're being changed, by which we're becoming more like Christ. So speak the gospel often to your children. Talk to them about grace. Talk to them about the law and God's provision through Christ to save us. Talk to them about forgiveness. Talk to them about the new birth, receiving the Holy Spirit and giving us new life. Do it often. Speak to your kids when, you lie down, when they lie down and when they rise up and when you're, when you're sitting around the table and when you're driving in the car. Speak to them about this. Psalm 78 tell, shows us the devastating effects of not remembering the testimonies of the Lord. Your kids do not bother me, so I have them come in, sit with you, okay? Don't feel like you have to take them out. But don't betray your lips by your life, okay? 
When you're sharing with your kids about the graciousness of God to forgive us when we sin, don't show them something other than forgiveness. Don't show them. Don't betray the message by your life. Number two. So the first is speak the gospel often and live out the gospel to your children. Number two, cultivate in your kids a love for the church. Cultivate for your, or in your kids a love for Christ's church. I heard recently that 60% of those 15 and older disconnect either permanently or for an extended period of time from church life. Why? Well, it, could, it kind of goes back to point number one, but also perhaps many of these kids, many of these 15-year-olds, 18-year-olds, whatever, they, they, they see the church as unnecessary. If your kids do not get, have a love for the church, if they don't get that from you, parents, they probably won't get it. Okay? If they don't get from you, the church is important. What we do when we gather together is important. They probably won't get it from anyone else. So like a wise gardener who needs to till the soil, plant the seeds, and pull weeds, cultivate a love, not just a commitment that we go there, but a love for the church. Not just to go to church, but a love for the people of the church and for the God who's here when we gather together. Talk about it the way the Bible does. Talk about the church being not, don't, don't, tell them that, don't give them the idea that the church is like this building we go to, but the church are these people that make up the bride of Christ. The church is called the household of God. The church is the family of God. Those who Jesus Christ has saved by his blood and we gather together. Talk to them about what we're doing when we gather together at church. We are gathering together as God's people. We are drawing into the presence of our creator God to worship him. This God who made everything, who beckons us to himself together in a congregation. We gather together not only to sing songs, but also to listen to his words and to serve his people. Give your kids a love for the church. I want my kids to see their mom and dad joyfully worshiping, joyfully serving, joyfully fellowshipping, joyfully sacrificing. Number three, raise your kids to appreciate their faith as personal, but not private. Here's what I mean by that. Instill in your kids the importance of a deeply personal faith in Jesus Christ. It cannot be some abstract thing that they're just kind of inheriting because they're around. It must be deeply personal in every person if it's real. But help them to know and live it out publicly. Okay? We live in a culture right now where it's okay to wear, wear your sexuality on your sleeve, but don't talk about your faith commitments. That's private. It's baloney. It's garbage. Right? Our, our faith in Christ is personal. It belongs to us, but it's meant to be public. Right? It's meant, we're meant to live it out publicly. Jesus Christ died publicly on a cross for our sins. 
which has massive ramifications for our public life as we live out our commitment to Jesus and everything that we do. Jesus said this, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father. But everyone who denies me before men, I will deny before my Father, Matthew 10. So raise your kids to appreciate personal faith. They need that. Okay, It's not just your faith. They need to know it personally for them. But it's not private. Help them to live it publicly. Number four, connect personally with your children. I'm going to cruise through these quick, okay? You are your children's authority, your child's authority, your children's authority, without a doubt. But you don't want a situation where you have kids that comply unlovingly to a standard, okay? Do you guys know, I, I, I felt great relief from this. I mean, it's more challenging, but I felt great relief from this. The goal is not mere conformity, right? It's not, it's not, the goal is not merely to get your kids, you better do what you're told, right? We're bigger than them. We can make them, okay? That's not the goal. The goal is not mere conformity to a standard, but the goal is to get your kids to love the standard, to get them to love the standards, to get them to love what you're teaching them, is to get them to love God's commands and God's truth and being raised in God's ways. This comes largely through modeling and through relationship. Through modeling and through relationship. I love Proverbs 1. Listen to, listen to Proverbs 1, verses 8 and 9. Solomon says this, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Do you guys hear that? Father's instruction, your mother's teaching, this is not some heavy burden. Or shouldn't We don't want our kids to feel like it's some heavy burden. It's like a graceful garland around their head and a pendant around their neck. It is a beautiful thing. It is a wonderful thing. Model for your kids joyful obedience to God so that they see and learn joyful obedience to you. Relate to your kids. Be the kind of person they want to go to when they're in trouble, when they're hurting, or when they sin. Even when they sin. Even when they've lied. They want, they want to come to you. They want to come to their mom, to their dad. Number five, submit your children to God in prayer. Dedicate them to the Lord. Pray for their salvation daily. Pray for their usefulness in God's kingdom. Pray that the tip of this arrow that's in your hands right now would be sharp and would hit the mark and would be a mighty weapon for God. We see time and again in the Bible, when God wants to do something great, what does he do? He sends a baby into the world. Right? Think of Moses. Right? This man of God who would lead God's people out of Egypt. Think of Samuel, this priest and prophet to the Lord. Think of David, this who became a man after God's own heart. Think of John the Baptist and, of course, our Savior Jesus. And they probably were adorable babies at one time, cute and cuddly. But we don't hear much about that. We know that they grew up to be formidable for God. So, we should pray that God would take our children, our child, our daughter, our son, 
and turn this son, God, into a David, into a man after your own heart. Take this little girl of mine, God, this little girl that you've given to me, and turn her into a Deborah, a mighty woman of faith. Take this little child and turn him into a Samuel, a, a, a young boy who, says, who, has a, who has an ear for the Lord, who says, speak, Lord, for your servants listening, and grows up to be mighty for God. Take this little child, this little precious girl, and make her a Mary, one who chooses devotion to Christ. Number six, protect your children, but don't overprotect them. Protect them, okay? With, by all means, protect them, but don't overprotect them. Remember, the goal is that they grow up to be dangerous, not endangered, okay? The goal is that they grow up to be dangerous in the hands of God, not an endangered species. When children are small, they're totally defenseless, right? So I'm not, I'm not saying... I'm not saying kind of protect your three-month-old. I'm not saying that, okay? They are defenseless. They need constant supervision. They can crawl over the edge of the stairs. They can put something dangerous in their mouth, okay? The dog can get them, all sorts of things, okay? They need constant supervision, protection from their parents. This is absolutely necessary. But the goal is that they would be formidable and not just be cute and adorable and cuddly their whole lives. Verse 5, again, says that when a man speaks with his enemies in the gate, he wants his children with him. When we, mothers and fathers, speak with our enemies in the gate, figuratively speaking, we want our kids when they're 17, 18, 20, 25, 30, 50. We want them with us, right? We want them standing next to us, on our side. We don't want them on the other side, right? We don't want them at home playing video games, Okay? We don't want them out partying and we don't want them in a gated community where nothing could ever possibly happen to them. We want them with us. We want them standing shoulder to shoulder with us. So in closing, the clear, clear implication of Psalm 127 is that we intentionally take a different perspective than we would ever get from the world on how to raise our kids. Whereas the world's motto is this, something like this, perhaps. I want to help my kids get ahead in the world. Our motto should be something like this. I will raise my kids under God's direction and with his help in order to enlist them in the service of my commanding officer, Jesus, someday. Obviously, it's hard to see an adorable six-month-old as an arrow or as some kind of weapon. I get it, okay? Sometimes I think Silas is like a weapon, but not in a good way, okay? <laughs> he just hurts animals and people. But remember, this is a long-term proposition. And think of an acorn. An acorn's kind of a cute little thing, right? But a giant oak that can withstand decades of storms is amazing. The giant oak was an acorn at one time. So, parents, we plant, we cultivate, we water, we shine light, we oversee, we protect, we teach, we pray, we connect with week after week, month after month, year after year, and we do it in faith. We do it in faith. 
that it's not just us doing it, but the Lord is building and the Lord is watching over and the Lord is protecting and the Lord is saving and the Lord is transforming and the Lord is teaching and the Lord is shining light and the Lord is giving his increase and the Lord is making these little children into sharp arrows for his glory and for our joy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for these children. God, that I hear giggling and talking right now, Lord. What a blessing from you. What a heritage. What an inheritance. What a reward. You are so good, God, to give us children. Help us, God, to see them, not just as a joy, the joy of life that comes into our homes, not just as a sanctifying word, not just as an an instrument of your sanctification, but God helps us see our kids as arrows. That we'd see we have a quiver with one or six or three arrows in it. God, that we'd be faithful to raise them so that when they're older, they would stand with us in the battle, in the fight that we sung about earlier, the fight for love and the fight for righteousness and the fight for truth. God, we do pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.